You are listening to the Crossroads Community Church Podcast. To learn more about CRCC, including worship times, visit us at crcconline.com. I want to just dive into God's Word. Uh, We're going to end up being in Matthew, Matthew chapter 4. It's going to be a great time. If you're a first-time guest of us, man, we are so excited to have you. Uh, We would love for you to go by guest services. Fill out a little connect card. They have a gift for you. If you're joining us online, man, shoot something in the comments. Let us know so we can be praying for you this week. It's going to be a great, great time. So, so here's what I was thinking. With it being Father's Day, I was, I was trying to figure out how exactly this works. My first thought was, come on stage, greet all the dads, have the band come back up, pray, and be dismissed. And dads would be like, "Woohoo! greatest church ever. Notice all the dads laugh and all everybody's getting elbowed like, you know, no, I'm kidding. But no, I, I thought, you know, Father's Day is one of those days that's a little bit different. You know, we always get flowers on moms. Well, I got flowers on Father's Day, and so, which, is, which is awesome. Uh, but it's one of those things that we try to do different things. But I, I just wanted to kind of find the right words. Like, has anybody went through this process over the last week? Maybe you're trying to find a, a Father's Day card. Maybe you're getting ready to to text your dad later on, maybe you got a phone call coming up, something of that nature, and you're kind of finding the right words. Well, well, I, I thought, you know, I'm going to be helpful. Is that all right? I, I want to give you guys, I did some Googling. I love the old Google. I'm a Googler. And, uh, and I got some things that I thought maybe you would like could be little phrases. If you have a phone, you can feel free to pull this out because I'm fixing to give you the most bodacious text to your dad. you got to pick which one's your favorite. Because sometimes finding the right words are really tough. And these, these, aren't, these aren't stupid. Like, I know a lot of you are thinking, oh, Lord, here he goes. No, that's later on. All right, this is actually a, a little bit serious. So here's some of them. If you're wanting to send something to your dad. Happy Father's Day to my hero and role model. Thank you for everything you have done for our family. We love you with all our hearts. And we go, aww. Here, here's another one for dad. You ready? The older I get, the more I realize how important it is to have a dad like you. You have provided stability in my life and the love and acceptance I need it. Happy Father's Day. Dad, although time and distance may separate us, your guidance, advice, and love is stuck with me through it all. I would not be who I am today without you. Enjoy your special day. So if one of these fits, you can just kind of elbow or squeeze a hand. I'm saving you money. You ain't got to go buy the card. Just here to serve. They're $1. If you use these, when you leave today, the offering buckets will be in the back. Drop your dollar in. Dad, you have given me the best things in life, your time, your care, and your love. I'm truly grateful to have you in my life. Happy Father's Day. My favorite for dads was this one. Thanks for acting like a kid when I was a kid, acting like a friend when I needed a friend, and acting like a parent when I needed one of those too. You are the best man I know. Happy Father's Day. Now, I know sometimes wives like to try to say something to their husbands, so I've got a few of those as well. Life has given us wonderful family, a happy home, a love for each other. Most importantly, it has given us each other. I'm so grateful to you as my husband. Happy Father's Day. Another one that I, I wrote down and I really liked. Happy Father's Day to the man of my heart, the father of our children, and the love of my life. I love our family, and I love you. That one's really good. And for grandparents, if you're trying to reach out to a grandparent today, a couple of them, it's grand to have someone like you in our family. Happy Father's Day, Granddad. May your special day be one of peace, happiness, and love. Happy Father's Day, Grandfather. A grandfather holds a special place in our hearts right where all the love is. 
Enjoy your special day. We love you, Grandpa. And then the one for granddads is not written down. It's actually hanging in Amy's father's house. She made this little saying, and I thought this was great. And it simply said this. The only thing greater than having you as my dad is knowing my kids will have you as their G-man. And so you think about that stuff, and it kind of sparks a little bit of emotion, doesn't it? Like whether it's a Father's Day or whether it's a Mother's Day or, or whether it's duck donuts with dads or, or going out to eat breakfast with mom or wherever we run along the gamut or an anniversary or a birthday. There's these days that we're trying to, to find the right words. And I think sometimes we're in a series called Freeze Frame. And I think sometimes we stop, we look at the picture, we examine it, and we're trying to figure out What's the right thing to do next? Like we're trying to find the right words. Words have a way of guiding us. Well, today I actually want to share you a story. We're going to be in two different aspects of the Bible. Every time I say this, I get tickled because I grew up with you know, my, my biological dad and stepfather, who are amazing people. My father, biological father, passed away when I was younger. My stepdad is still alive and does amazing things. My granddad growing up was humorous, guys. So when I was getting ready and I keep saying this in my head, I was like, I'm going to have to say this because I can't help it because of my mental capability. Because every time I think about this, I start laughing like it's the beginning of a joke. And I, just, and I, know, I don't got a joke for you today, but literally I want to tell you a story of a prostitute, a fisherman, and a preacher. Now, does that not sound like the beginning of a really funny joke? Like, all we needed, and they went in a bar and blank, you know. But it's one of those things that, you know, and I apologize. I know some of you are sitting here going, great. Now i got to go home and tell my kid what, you know, the P word that we used, what they do for a living. And I'll help you out. It's real simple, all right, because most people don't understand what they do. And so, basically, they just get up and work on one day out of the week on Sundays, all right. But uh, let that sink in. You'll catch that in a minute, all right. But it's one of those things that there's so much that we have going on. And trying to find the right words and the right stories and the right concepts sometimes can be tough. So join me in Matthew chapter 11. Because here's, or Matthew chapter 4, we're going to start in verse 20 here in just a minute. But here's the concept. Here's what I wrote in my notes. In the process of doing the things we have to do, we don't want to miss the things we want to do. So kind of setting the premise. As we're saying a freeze frame, if we talk about most people's lives, here's what you're geared with. I don't want to get so caught up in the things that I have to do that I've left no time to do the things that I want to do. I just described fatherhood. The hardest thing about being a dad is doing all the things that I have to do and trying to make sure there's time to do the things that I want to do. But to me, there's also another level. I don't want to get so caught up in doing all the things that I have to do, nor getting so caught up in the things that I want to do, that I miss the things that are going to really matter and change everything. You know those moments that you didn't see it coming, but you look back and you realize from that moment, that spiritual marker, whatever it was in your life, things would never be the same again. Well, I want to share with you a couple of those moments. One of them is going to be in Matthew chapter 4, 
starting, I'm going to start in 18. The scripture will show up when we get to 20. It says, while walking by the Sea of Galilee, he's talking about Jesus, he saw two brothers, Simon and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishermen of men. Then verse 20, you'll see it on the screen. Immediately, they left their nets and followed him. Continuing in verse 21, and going on from there, he saw two brothers, James and John, and mending their nets, and he called them. And again, look at verse 22. Immediately, they left the boat and their father and followed him. So let me kind of set the stage for you. You've got two sets of fishermen. If you do a little bit of study, you'll have people that talk about how God's calling in your life, it's, just, it's an immediate response, how these people just dropped what they were doing and immediately went with them. But if you do a little bit of study and you cross-reference this over into the book of John, all right, in John chapter 1, it starts talking about this calling. Uh, John is one of these that he's talking about. One of these brothers named John is actually John that ends up writing the gospel. You'll actually realize through a little bit of study that these relationships had predated this conversation on the beach. More than likely, most scholars would tell you that these fishermen had been being a disciple of Jesus, had been hanging around with Jesus for about a year. Like, like Jesus comes on the scene, we hear the recording of the gospel, and we record like this 30 to 33 years old, these three years of his ministry, but realize that there was a long period between when he was an adolescent and Mary treasured these things in her heart, Matthew chapter 2, and then all of a sudden showing up on the scene and he's calling his disciples. He's come through temptation. During that time, Jesus still had relationships. He still was in the process of building some relationships. That's the reason why later on in John, they look at him and call him rabbi, even though they just now started to follow him. And I'm telling you that just to give you a little bit of a background story, because the immediate is not something that's just this, this blind faith I know nothing about and I'm just running. It's actually... A little bit more than that because it's understanding that when you find the perfect truth that you can stop what you're doing and you can follow that truth even if you don't understand it completely I had a friend of mine his name's Tony Eubanks he had a saying that you say all the time he says Mickey when you're seeking perfect sense and you find it seek no other sense can I say that again when you seek perfect sense and you find it seek no other sense I joke around with some of you guys that are in dating relationships. I'm like, listen, when you, when you find the perfect match, then quit looking. Like, move forward, all right? Like, trust it. Same thing in our life. When you're seeking perfect sense and you find it, then why would you seek any other sense? That is what's going on in this scripture. But the two things that these guys are leaving, there's actually four of them, four fishermen, the two things that they're leaving are actually sound very similar, but they actually are on opposite ends. The first two, Simon, who ends up being called Peter, and his brother Andrew, they were in an occupation. They were gifted, they were fishermen, they were fishing. And they were in the boat, and they're doing what they're doing. They are at their nine-to-five job. And they're throwing the net. Being fishermen, it probably wasn't 9 to 5. It was more like probably 4 a.m. to 10 a.m. But they're throwing these nets, and they're fishing. This is their occupation. This is what they're good at. And when God says, follow me, I'll make you fishermen of man, what he is saying is, I know you have a gift in your occupation, 
But what you are doing to provide for others, I have something greater for you. You are catching fish to feed people. I'm going to take you on a journey where you're going to have men that are going to be caught in your net through the gospel and their lives will be changed forever. One, people wake up, they eat, and they still become hungry again. One, they will be satisfied forever and have eternal life. And so he's telling them, you know what? Drop your occupation. Let me become the priority. And let me change what your calling is in your life. See, it's one of those things of, of doing the things you, you have to do and going and doing some of the things that you want to do, but then one of these moments where all of a sudden here's an opportunity to go do something that will forever change you. The other two brothers that come along probably had a relationship. They probably knew each other. In fact, if we go over to the Gospel of John, these other two end up leading some of the other ones. John goes and ends up having Nathaniel that's joined, and you kind of have all these guys that have kind of been buddies from uh, Bethesda. And so that God's kind of forming this. There's so much to it. It's so much more than just what we sometimes read. But what he's doing is he's saying, okay, I want you to come follow me. And it says they dropped their net and left their fishing and their father. See, one guy was giving up an occupation. Another guy was giving up his livelihood and family business. See, the last two that you read about here at the end of, of the chapter, when it talks about John and James, they are actually walking away from their family legacy and their family business. You say, Mickey, what's the point? The point is simply this. There are going to be some times in your life that you're going to stop and you're going to look at a picture and you're going to have a major decision that you're going to have to make. Like there is great comfort in doing what you're doing, but I want you today to ask the question, is that the greatest legacy I want for my life? See, I, I talk about legacy because when I think about fathers, when I think about Father's Day, when I think about Christians, when I think about ladies and men, more than anything, we want a legacy to pass on. Legacies look like a lot of different things. Legacy for me is something as simple as a buck knife in my pocket. Why do I carry that? Because Pap Pap carried it. You say, who's Pap Pap? One of the greatest guys I ever knew. He was my grandfather. He was my father's father. And I remember him having this farm. And I remember, you know, he had a pocket knife, and every blade had a responsibility. I learned that the hard way. I grabbed Pat Pap's knife one time and said, let me borrow that. And I started to cut on something, and I just about got a spanking over it. And I'm like, what's the big deal? And he goes, that's not the blade you cut with. And I'm like, so what do you do with that blade? That's the one I cut my food with. And I was like, oh. And then I start grabbing another knife to cut into an apple. Oh, don't use that knife. Don't use that blade. Why? Now, that's the blade I clean underneath my fingernails with. And you're like, I just thought it was a knife. Yeah, next time somebody lets you borrow a knife, just think about that. Yeah, let that sink in a little bit. We were joking around the other day, me and Jeff Baker, we were celebrating. Savannah graduating, and I, I was, honestly, I, I mean, I was a little bit, uh, I was a little bit hurt for Savannah because, you know, they were over there celebrating. We're done. We're great. He's taking his marble and throwing it in the trash. But all of us have different legacies, right? 
We carry marbles in our pockets to seize the moments. We carry pocket knives to remember people. I carry a poker chip uh, to talk about Amy. I try to pray for my wife. She has a gambling addiction, and this is the way I've been able to keep her in the front thought of my mind. You guys may not know that. There's a lot you don't know about my wife, but then now's not the day to talk about that. Uh, No, I, I carry this because I'm all in. It's just reminders. You know why I do that? Because sometimes words are hard to find. Sometimes words are hard to find. Like I read those little sayings earlier for fathers. Why? Because, because sometimes words are hard to find. And sometimes we feel like I love you is not enough. And at the same time, we understand I love you is more than everything. But you know what else is hard to, to speak about? Where your life's going. Like you need to know that the choices that you're making and the actions that you're on will change the trajectory of your life. And there are times that you're in the middle of doing something that you have to be doing. And you're going to feel something quick in you, a spirit, something in you that's saying, follow me. And I want you to know that the way that you handle that question, that action, is vitally important to what life looks like after you get off the boat. You know, the amazing thing about this is I wonder how great of a fisherman these guys became after they got with Jesus. Like, I wonder how much when they went back, in fact, if you, again, if you study this, this, this account in Matthew, it's the same account that's in John, and, and literally what it's talking about is there probably was a little bit of time they were walking with Jesus, and now Jesus has kind of pulled back, and he's went through the temptations. He's kind of in this last season of preparation. So while he was finishing the preparation, these guys kind of went back, to their occupations, and now Jesus came back on the scene, and now he's ready to launch into this three-year ministry that's going to change the whole world. It's going to result with him being a death on the cross, and he walks down the beach, and he goes back to these guys that he'd been mentoring, and this time it's not just this mentorship like, hey, we want to meet once a week. He looks at him and says, hey, guys, follow me. And immediately, because when you're seeking perfect sense and you find it, you seek no other sense, it said they got out of the boat. Now, I want you to understand something. In this time when they were fishing, and you say they got out of the boat, we think of like going down to PCB, like deep sea fishing. Like what? Were they like Olympic swimmers? Like what? It's not the way it works. Most people that are fishing in this time would have just been a little bit off the shore. And it's one of those things that there's a very, very good chance that they literally could have just literally jumped out of the boat and started walking and getting towards Christ. And they're just like, hey, we're out of here. They look back at their dad, family, loved him, but knew that this is what God was calling them to do. Here's the first question. What in your life are you so attached to that it would make you stay in the boat rather than following him? Is it the desire to provide for somebody, a.k.a. an occupation? Is it a family? Is it something that you're carrying that you feel like, no, I have to do this, like, like my family has built this. I have to carry on. And don't mishear me. There's nothing wrong with any of those things if it's ordained by God. But God never wants anything like that to be what's in your life that keeps you 
that keeps you from following him. I'll come back in a minute and tell you what the results of that are. Let me, let me move from the fisherman. Let's move to the prostitute. Can we go to Joshua? We're going to go to Joshua chapter 2. I'll set this up because we don't have time to read the whole story. If you were reading Double Blessing, you read a little bit about this. But this is the prostitute Rahab. And what's going on is, is they're in the process, God's people, of retaking over what's going to end up being the promised land. And they go in to spy out a village. And in the process of doing that, they find out that the spies are there, so they're going to come and get them to kill them. And they are in the process where they're needing some help. So these two spies turn around, and this one prostitute says, I will hide you. But then listen to what she says. It starts in verse 12. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that as I have dealt kindly with you, you also will deal kindly with my father's house and give me a sure sign that you will save alive my father and mother and my brothers and sisters and all who belong to them and deliver our lives from death. See, she makes them swear on what's going on that, hey, I'm willing to help you, but I need you to make sure that you take care of my family. It seems like a very, 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 very simple concept, correct? But here's what's amazing about it. I'm going to finish the story. The spies turn around and say, I'll tell you what, we will honor this, but you have to do a few things. Number one, you're going to hang a scarlet cord in your window. And when we attack, you will have anybody that you want their life saved to be in this house, and because our house was built in the wall, and where this scarlet cord, and anybody in the house will not be touched. But if anybody leaves this house, they're on their own. But anybody that resides in this home with this scarlet cord that's hanging in the window, their life will be saved. Sounds a whole lot like the Passover, correct? Take the blood, go it over the doorpost, this scarlet cord. Well, guess what? She does that and her family's saved. See, it was a defining moment that she's in a life, she's a prostitute. But she hears the amazing part of this story at the beginning of Joshua. When you're hearing her story, the story of God's people had preceded them entering into the, the, the town. Like, it's amazing to read it and listen because they already knew that there was, there was this people that was coming. They were going to cross this Jordan. They were going to conquer them. They were in the process of taking what was theirs. God had already told the foreigners who were living in the land, see, they thought it was their land, but they were foreigners. Why? Because it wasn't their land. It was God's land. And so God was in the process of saying, okay, it's about time for you to get out of my land because my people are coming into it. Can I tell you that's what you live in today? Some of the things that are going on, you need to quit battling things you don't need to fight. Why? Because people are foreigners in a land that's not theirs. See, they live in a spirit of entitlement. They think that, well, because I've bought this, because I have this, because my granddad, because of this, then this makes it mine. And God's saying, hang on a second. I created all this, and in the end, I'm going to restore all this. And there is one thing that's going to happen. My people, who are called by my name, are going to dwell in this land, and they're going to live there forever. 
It's the same story that you read about in the Old Testament of God's people eventually inheriting their promised land to live forever. But the last promised land is not Israel. The last promised land is the new heaven and the new earth. But yet we live and battle things that don't really matter. Why? Because we seek in perfect sense and we find it, but we keep seeking more sense. Well, why are these two situations important? Well, very simple. I tried to use some guys, and I tried to use a lady as well, because even though it's Father's Day, this message is for everybody. You need to know there's going to be times in your life where the decision you make is going to be a catalyst to everything that God wants in your life. Can I go back to those disciples? You had Simon, who becomes Peter, Andrew, his brother, James, and John. Three of those four end up becoming the inner circle of Jesus' disciples. And can you imagine when they stepped out of the boat, they never knew all the things that was going to come and they were going to see. In fact, in verse 52, in Matthew, the same chapter, in fact, I'll flip there super, super quick if you don't mind. If you flip over to page, uh, verse, chapter 5, verse 50, sorry, verse 15. Do not people light a lamp and put it under a basket, put it on a stand. That's now, I'm sorry, let me back up, let me see if I can find this. Oh, it's in John, that's right. This is what happens when I study and read too many scriptures, I get confused. It's in John, chapter 52, verse 1. Let me go over here. And it says this, verse 51 of chapter 1 of, of John. And he said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascend and descending on the Son of Man. They were going to see things that nobody else is ever going to see. And I wonder if when God called them to step out of the boat and follow them, if they really understood the impact in everything that was going to happen. Like if John and Peter and James realized that Three of these four were going to be the inner circle and be the closest of close people with Jesus, who was fully man yet fully God. Now, part of you may say, well, Mickey, that, what about poor Andrew? Like, how did Andrew get left out? Ironically enough, in John chapter 1, you'll read that Andrew was the catalyst. Do you know how Simon, who ends up being Peter, ends up meeting Christ? Andrew brings him. Andrew goes to Simon and says, we have found the Messiah, come and meet him. And when he comes and meets Jesus, Jesus looks at him and changes his name and says, you will now be Petros, which means rock. How big of a deal was that? The church was built on it. How big of a deal was John? He reads the gospel of John. He's inspired to write this gospel that holds these words, maybe you've heard them before. John three sixteen. for God so loved the world. So much so that 2,000 years later, it's probably one of the most glorifying scriptures that's used. The amazing Billy Graham used that one verse for millions of people to come into a right relationship with God. And it all started with what? A brother being obedient to bring his brother to Jesus and four guys that stepped out of a boat. So how big of a deal is it for you to move? You remember that prostitute? Well, where does she show up? Well, let me read in Matthew Matthew chapter 1, verse 5, it's the lineage of Jesus. And it says, And Salem, the father of Boaz, by Rahab. And Boaz, the father of Obed, by Ruth. And Obed, the father of Jesse. And Jesse, the father of David, the king. And it keeps going. See, this prostitute that was being obedient and said, Don't 
Take care of my family. Like, make sure you don't kill my family. And God's up there saying, oh, sweetie, I got something so much bigger. Through her, she was the great, 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 great grandmother of Jesus. So how big is your decisions? In fact, she was one of only five women. One of only five that's mentioned in the lineage of Jesus. And it shows up. And she's called by name. See, if you keep reading, you end up having David, and then David, you have Solomon. But it doesn't say Bathsheba. It actually glorified, not glorified, that's not a good way to put it. It actually reminds us of David's sin. They actually say David, and then they recognize Solomon as the son of the wife of Uriah, who David had killed. Like, there's so much more than just, like, when you read, it's like, oh, well, here's the lineage. No, there are stories behind that. And there are legacies. But all of them started with this. A moment in time where people were doing the things that they needed to do. Or maybe they were doing some of the things they wanted to do. And there was something in their spirit that said, move. And they didn't realize that stepping out of a boat... They didn't realize that hiding a couple of spies would change their legacy and lineage forever. See, the the fishermen and the prostitute, they have the same thing in common. They listen to the right preacher. The greatest preacher that ever lived. That almost sounds like you're underselling Jesus, doesn't it? But do you know a better message than the Sermon on the Mount? See, not only was he a great preacher, but he was even better than that. Why? Because he was the Savior. See, he could preach. Like, I preach out of biblical knowledge. He preached out of biblical personality, like it was who he was. Like, I study to try to figure out what it is that God's calling us to do. And Jesus steps up on the scene and says, let me tell you, because in me is my Father, and my Father dwells with me, and this is what we do. Now, let's go. And I think everybody in this room has to have a situation where they sit there and they say, listen, there's going to be a time in your life that you're in the middle of doing some things that you need to do. You may even be doing some things that you want to do. And you're going to have a nudging in your spirit. And you're going to say, "Uh, I don't know, not now, it doesn't really fit. And I want you to remember this message. I want you to remember this Father's Day. I want you to visually, like, here's a member of this chunky, amazing body looking at you, saying you better be careful. Because when the Spirit's nudging you, normally, God's working on something bigger than just your life. He's working on everybody's life that follows you. So, Freeze frame. Yeah, we stop. We examine. We see what's going on. But it's more than that. We stop so that we can start. Like in the middle of this summer, we've said, hey guys, let's pause. Let's take a picture. Let's examine it. But now that we're getting ready to go into July, as God is speaking to you, You know what he's calling you to do? To put this thing back in gear 
and let's start moving. What does that look like? It looks like a serve day. It looks like running to your community. What does that look like? It looks a whole lot like the double blessing. We had over 100 people that joined with us in the month of June and went through the double blessing. Some of you are going, oh, man, I've missed that. I wish I wouldn't have missed that. Hey, it's okay. We're going to take another run in July. We got you covered. You can start even today to go to guest services and say, listen, I want to get that book. How much is it? It doesn't cost you anything. We'll take care of it. It's already been taken care of by people's generosity. It looks a whole lot like moving forward. See, this whole summer, the aspect of the Polaroid and the pictures and the freeze frame, it was all built around one concept, spiritual markers. What does it look like when we pause and we take a picture and we see something that is so magnificent that we put a stake in the ground and we say, you know what, this is a spiritual mark in my life. I will never go back. What does that look like? It looked a whole lot like Pastor Sam's ordination last night. It's a spiritual, like, I will never, ever, ever go back. It looks a whole lot like when you entered from being a married man to a father. And you knew you would never go back. It looks a whole lot like when you were doing your own thing, and you were doing the things you needed to do, and you were even doing a few things that you wanted to do, And all of a sudden, this spirit dwelled in you. And you couldn't explain it. But you just knew you had to do something. Like, we knew that something was in us. You can call it a conscience. I don't use conscience. I'm a child of God. I don't don't have a conscience. I have a spirit. But for people that don't have a relationship with Christ, God has a way of working. And scientists have called it your conscience. But really, it's your spirit ready to to ignite with Christ where it belongs. And it's telling you, no, 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 don't do that. But sometimes it's saying, yes, 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 please go move. Stop, examine, let's evaluate. But now let's get back and let's start going. You say, why? Because there's people that need you to move. Do you know that everybody in this room has been radically changed Because of four fishermen and a prostitute and a preacher. The birth of the church in Acts, Pentecost. One of those fishermen that got out of the boat. The Savior of the world came through the lineage of Rahab. The Gospels that we dwell on, it talks about God's love so much. Fishermen. And then to move from from death to life is that amazing preacher we call Jesus. So the question is, what are you going to do with it? I'm going to pick on Mr. David because him and I have had a talk and I know he won't care. But I can't guarantee you that everybody's going to go to death's door and have a miracle happen like Mr. David and you get a second chance. I can't guarantee you that. And as much as I am thankful of everything that God done in Mr. David's life and allowed us as a church to go on a faith journey, I want you to know today that this Father's Day, I love you enough to tell you the truth. You say, Mickey, what's the truth? It's time to follow. When? Immediately.
You dwell on it. You keep fishing. It's amazing how things work. All of a sudden, you'll hook something and go, ooh, man, that's a nice one. I'm going to try to get me another one. Ooh, that's a nice one. Ooh, and next thing you know, days turn into weeks, turns into years, and you're going to still find yourself in a boat, still fishing, and ignoring that calling that he's put in your life to go do something and to do something bigger. But it takes you moving. So here's what we're going to do. I want to pray. And we're going to do something a little bit different. When we get done praying today, we're going to stand up and we're going to worship. But I feel like today for some of us, we've got to move from, from being a, a person that's doing their own things to being a follower. And I want to be standing right over there in the corner. And they're going to flip all these lights off. And I want to encourage you that if you want to go from being being just somebody that does the things they like to do or want to do or need to do and go into somebody that has a spiritual mark in their life where they accept Christ and they become a follower. Listen, I don't have a special prayer. We're not going to stand you up in front of everybody and say, hey, look at Billy. We're not going to do that. God's too big and it's too real to be a show. But you're going to have to move. And you're going to have to come right down here and all I'm going to do is pray for you. All I'm going to do is pray for you. You say, Mickey, how long are you guys going to do this? It's going to be immediate. Like, it ain't going to be this drug out like six or seven, but like, we're going, it's a, like you know right now who you are. Like, right now, it's borderline overwhelming, isn't it? Like, right now, you, I got to get out of here, man. I got to go get another donut. I got to go to the bathroom. I got to do something because something's about to change, and I don't know if I like this. If you're seeking... Perfect sense. And you find it. Seek no other sense. Lord, I thank you so much for the people in this room. And Lord, as we stand and get ready to worship you, Lord, I pray, I pray for the people in this room who right now, their heart has become heavy. Lord, they feel like the weight of the world is sitting on them. And we know that is your spirit convicting them with the same exact phrase that you called out to the fishermen. Follow me. Lord, there's no better day than today. There's no, no better time than now to follow you. Lord, I pray that you give them the courage and the wisdom to move. Lord, for those in the room that have accepted Christ as their Lord and Savior, I pray that right now they don't, they don't get into this spiritual mode of, of praying for everybody else. But Lord, that, that you would convict us and say, Lord, what do we need to move on? What things do we need to place in our lives? What can we do to advance your kingdom and to love people well so that we can end up being the great-great-great-great-great-great-grandmother, grandfather of somebody that comes and changes the world because of our legacy and obedience. Lord, as we, as we sing and we worship, 
even as we are dismissed here in a minute and, and taking up tithes and offerings as we leave, Lord, I pray that you'll bless everything so that as a church, we can run into this community and let people know we love them and let them know that you're a good, good father. In your name we pray, amen. visit us at crcconline.com.